Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, I'm Grant Wall. Welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. Our interview guest today is Sports Illustrated senior writer Jenny Brantas, who wrote the magazine Sports Person of the Year story out this week on Megan Rapino. A quick reminder, if you like the podcast, it would really help us out if you go to Apple Podcasts and provide a rating and a review. And we'd appreciate you recommending the podcast to someone you know. Onward! Our guest today is Jenny Brentis, the SI senior writer who has written the Sports Person of the Year story for this week's issue of Sports Illustrated on Bacon Rapino. Congratulations, Jenny. It's a wonderful story. Thanks, Grant. I appreciate that. Um, and lots to talk about here because um, this is not an easy story to write for a number of reasons. Uh, one, you already wrote a story about Megan Rapino right before the start of the Women's World Cup, which was a very good story in its own right and also makes SI look pretty good because we sort of predicted beforehand that she would be the person <laughs> to write about. But then that's a challenge for you coming back at the end of the year to write a much longer story about Megan Rapino. How did you approach that process? Yeah, it is challenging because a lot of the previous story focused on how she got here from a low point where she felt like she was on the outs with the national team in late 2016, early 2017, after she knelt in support of Colin Kaepernick, you know, to protest police brutality. Um, so that story focused sort of on the trajectory to where she was a captain on the World Cup team. So with the sports person story, of course, that's a big part of her her story. I think that's, you know, how she got here and the fact that she's not just this force on the soccer field, but that she has taken on so many causes off of it. Um, but because her summer was so remarkable and she performed under really a pressure that I don't know we've seen many athletes perform under, that was Clearly, there was fresh material that she'd been challenged by the president. She'd thrived in both penalty kicks and days after, you know, the president calls her out on Twitter and the, the pressure really couldn't have been any bigger. So fortunately, there was, you know, kind of a fresh angle and there was clearly a lot that had happened in her life in the f five months between the stories. Yeah. Um, she, as you note in the story, is only the fourth woman on her own to win the Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year Award out of 65? Yeah. Um, what does that say? Yeah. I, I mean, one, it's, you know, a testament to her achievement this year, but two, also the entrenched gender biases, right, that ref affect how we view 
female athletes. The 99 team won as a team, and there have been people that have won in tandem. I think Pat Summit won one year at the same time as Coach K. So I think there were other women that won at the same time as someone else. But as far as a a woman being alone on the cover for the Sports Person of the Year, just four of those. Uh, and it really fits into exactly what she has done this year is challenge gender stereotypes, challenge our perceptions of women, of female athletes, of her. Um, so it really, um, for her to be the fourth, uh, it makes a point in a lot of different ways. It's interesting because I wrote a short companion piece to this, just a little bit about my experiences with Megan over the years covering her. Um, and I started covering her with the 2011 World Cup. Uh, really, I didn't really, you know, hadn't covered her before that. Uh, and she had this big breakout tournament, had the past Abby Wambach for her amazing goal. Um, and I actually went back for my thing and, and looked at sort of my history of DMs with her over the years, because like on Twitter, it, it sort of, it keeps that history there. And um, it, it was interesting because at one point in 2012, I wrote a magazine story on her uh, around the Olympics that year. And she only came out publicly in 2012. Yeah. And it was just interesting to me in, in going through these messages. One of her friends had said to me after I had done my interview with her for the with Rupino for the magazine story that gay rights were really important to Megan. And I didn't I mentioned that and just was like, if you want to talk about this over the phone, she wasn't out yet. She was just about to uh, come out publicly in an interview in Out magazine. So by the time my story came out at the Olympics, she had been out for a, a couple of months. And so we did get some of that in there. But it just reminded me a little bit of her journey. Um, it's hard to imagine now in 2019 her, one, not being out or not having thoughts on gay rights. Mm -hmm. um, That's interesting. Yeah. And like, is it your sense? I mean, my sense is that she has gone through this process to become an activist. She wasn't necessarily always this way and now we see where she is with that did she talk about that with you at all i think where she is now there's definitely a long tail to it as you mentioned her coming out publicly in 2012 i think showed her the power of her voice also showed her the power of the platform that soccer gives her and so she after on the flight home from the 2011 world cup i think first considered the possibility of coming out and then ultimately it was the following year that she did it uh, and i think when she had that voice and she started to to gain confidence and see the impact of it she realized there were a lot of things that she cared about and that she could make an impact if she spoke up and used her voice but i do think it's been an evolution over time you know, talking to her parents about, like, were there examples of things that you saw from an early age? And, you know, I think parents probably kind of go through, comb through their memories and say, well, you know, there was this eighth grade assembly where she gave this really good analogy about a, a hot dog and a bun. And, like, sixth grade was one side of the bun and eighth grade was the other. And seventh <laughs> grade was the hot dog in the middle. And her mom was saying she really, like, empathized with all the layers of the hot dog, how each grade would feel coming together. So, you know, but it's like, it's kind of funny to think about that, right? Like, we're talking about, you know, somebody who speaks now about <laughs> gay rights and racism and, you know, her own white privilege. And, like, in eighth grade, she was talking about hot dogs. But, it, you know, the root was the same thing, kind of empathy for other people's experiences. Uh, but I do think, you know, it is something like I think she's grown up a lot over time and on the team as well, because five or six years ago, she wasn't a leader necessarily. And I think not only coming out publicly, but then also when she knelt in support of Kaepernick, then I think 
while she fell on the outs with the team, ultimately that led to her being this team leader because she was so out on her own and had to have so much courage to use her voice in that way. I think a lot of her teammates said it gave them their voices as well as a result, sort of even if they didn't kneel with her or even if they didn't take that stance, it encouraged them to speak up about something and to not be afraid to be part of the equal pay lawsuit and to not be afraid to be outspoken about their sexuality. So it's it's really influenced. And I think she's been such a catalyst for what we saw in the 2019 national team, which really fits into this era of women in our country not wanting to be told, you know, you've come far enough and don't be mad. And, you know, there's nothing else to fight for because you have it pretty good. And they're just, no, we're taking it into our own hands. And really, Megan Rapino was the face of that for the 2019 national team. So for this story, uh, you went to Columbus, Ohio to interview Rapino, correct? Right. You yes. also uh, went to, I guess, in Connecticut, she had a camp that she was doing mm-hmm. with her sister, Rachel, her twin sister. And you went out to Northern California to Redding, yeah. where her parents are. Yeah. It was interesting to get different views of her. And I felt like there was a three-day window where I kind of was like tagging along. So I went to like the Long Island camp and then the Greenwich camp and then to Columbus. So I get to the hotel in Columbus and she's like, oh, hey. And I was like, I feel like I've seen you every day. And she's like, well, you have. (laughs) So, you know, but I think what really um, came across is just this warmth that she has, like you leave a conversation with her and you feel like she's she's really trying to answer the question thoughtfully and trying to make sure that you get what you need. You know, we did an interview in the hotel lobby and she went upstairs to try on the dress that is the cover, the Valentino dress, which as soon as she put it on, she was like, I'm not wearing anything else. I just fell in love with it. Like she was so sure of it. Uh, but then she said to me like, well, do you have other questions? Because let's just do it now. And she had two more things to do that night. She was meeting with Vlatko. It was his first camp as the national mm-hmm. team coach. She was meeting with Kristen Press and Tobin Heath about their new fashion line. And she still spent 30 minutes just making sure I had everything I need. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that came through. And then, you know, going to her hometown is really interesting. It's like a, it's a conservative part of California. It's two and a half hours north of Sacramento. It's, uh, you know... There, there are a lot of, you know, it voted overwhelmingly Trump in 2016. Her father voted for Trump. That was fascinating to me. Yeah. And they had this, you know, Megan and Rachel didn't, their father's birthday was soon after the election. So instead of calling him like they normally would, they sent him a text, but they just kind of kept their distance a little bit. And they all came home for Christmas and they kind of hashed it out over their Christmas Eve sauce dinner and wine. Uh, but then they all said, I love you and went to bed. So I think you see that she's a person who's moved through a lot of different worlds. um, And that theme of empathy really came up, that she's seen so many different perspectives in her life that um, when she takes a stand for someone that's facing something like she's never faced racism, she's never been the victim of police brutality, but it's easy for her to say, hey, this is your experience. I believe you. I have empathy for you and I'm going to support you. So Megan's mother, Denise, has worked at this restaurant in Redding, California for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had pictures of Megan up on the wall of the place. And you report that they, the owner took those down after she kneeled in support of Kaepernick. 
Yeah, they the bartender had hung up photos of Megan from the 2012 Olympics, uh, from the 2011 World Cup, somewhere behind the bar, somewhere on the sidewall. It's a dark restaurant, so there was actually like a spotlight on them so that you could see the photos. And uh, soon after she kneeled, Denise, her mom, came into work and the pictures were gone. And the bartender pulled her aside and said, listen, the the owner got calls. He wanted to take them down. This was his decision. I, I don't agree with it. I just wanted to let you know. Now, Denise kept working there because she respected Megan's right to protest. And she said, this is his business. So he made a decision for his business. While there were some calls um, saying they didn't agree with Megan and he thought that it would be better to take them down. There were also a lot of calls of support and people that came into the restaurant and told Denise they supported her. So it did cut both ways. But it is the perspective of the town that that really puts into context sort of the different world that she grew up in, that, that she grew up in this conservative town and um, that viewpoints were very different. And her father even said that he initially wasn't thrilled uh, when she decided to kneel, you know, but then they, the hate mail flowed in, you know, uh, he got voicemails and letters at the house and he was he was very upset about that. So he, he didn't necessarily agree with the means for her to protest, but he supported very much her right to to express her opinion. Is... Is her picture still not up there? It's yeah. I went to eat at the restaurant. They're they're not up there. No. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because this year, obviously, she has taken her global recognition and popularity to stratospheric levels. Yeah, but you know, she's the talk of the restaurant. There was a t- one table over. They were asking. Denise had just gone to the Glamour magazine event with Megan, and they were asking to see photos and saying how proud they were. But it's 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 interesting, Grant, because you're exactly right. Like, imagine going from that period of time where they're taking your daughter's photos down at the restaurant, and now she's this international icon. And her, it's such a interesting trajectory over the last three years that both she and her family have been on. So another thing that uh, I learned in your story, which everyone should read, is that uh, the White House did actually end up inviting the U.S. team to visit after they won the World Cup, and the team together said, nope. Per a U.S. soccer representative, the White House reached out soon after the World Cup as would normally be the case. And uh, the U.S. soccer representative said that the team was presented with it and decided to not to go. Um, Of course, they had made their their opinions known. I mean, Megan was not the only one who, you know, Alex Morgan said she didn't want to go to the White House if they won, uh, Allie Krieger. So it was um, many opinions on the team. Um, You know, exactly how formal the invitation was, you know, I don't, these things, I suppose, can take different forms. You know, Megan did say she had heard they'd reached out. It didn't sound like it was necessarily some uh, big team meeting or some formal process. That did stick out to me a little bit. Um, but the, the Federation said that, you know, they, they the players didn't want to go. They respected the decision. Now, they also had invitations to go to Congress. You know, AOC had reached out, Chuck Schumer, and players did want to go. Um, but Megan had said she felt like she wanted to do that as a team and to do so as a team since players are spread all over the country you sort of need the federation support and in her view she didn't think the federation would be willing to set up a visit to congress if they were not going to the white house also and i agree with that just based on what's already publicly known about uh trump giving support to the world cup bid that the u.s ended up getting for 2026 
So yes, um, I can see U.S. soccer making that decision. Yes, uh, and they're also. I mean, it's such a weird situation too, right? Where like the U.S. women's national team players are currently in a major gender discrimination lawsuit against U.S. soccer. Still, yeah, such you know an interesting thing going into the World Cup three months after you file suit. Julie Foudy said she talked to Mia Hamm before the World Cup and asked her, do you think we would have done this? And they both agreed probably not. They probably would have waited until after the World Cup, sort of those entrenched views of don't be a distraction, don't cause a fuss. Um, And she really respected both of them, according to Julie, really respected the fact that Megan and the team went ahead with it and were courageous enough and confident enough to to do it this spring. Um, and yeah, it's like this, you know, Chris and Press, when I was talking to her about it, she said that, you know, the stress of suing your employer is like really hard to deal with. But Megan is so confident and she's been under so much scrutiny before, particularly after the Kaepernick situation, that she kind of has been able to give the team the confidence to handle when things aren't so comfortable. And I think that is definitely her role in terms of, you know, there's a lot of players are involved with it. They're, you know, they're at mediation, they're named in the lawsuit. And I think in Megan's particular case, her role is reminding them of the bigger picture that this isn't just about us and also kind of giving them the confidence to say, hey, it might not be comfortable to go play in the World Cup while we're suing the Federation, but well, it's okay. Like we can do this, you know, and, and we'll, we'll probably win. Yeah. I, it's, it's interesting because when we did our podcast um, series throwback on the origin stories of the U S women's national team and the women's world cup earlier this year, Foudy actually had said something about having issues with the Federation before the 95 world cup, their team. And then they didn't end up winning that tournament and they came out of it feeling like those uh, tensions with the Federation had contributed to their not winning. And so I had that in my mind heading into this Women's World Cup this year. And sort of the subtext was from Fowdy, even then, I think this could be a real issue for them. Yeah. This year. And then they just went and dominated the whole thing. They basically amplified the pressure on them. So you go into France with a younger team. You go into France suing the Federation. You know the pressure is already amplified. You know, then the the president tweets at Megan saying she needs to finish the job. And so that's why, you know, I said earlier in the show, it's really hard to imagine a situation where you might have more pressure than that. I mean, I I don't know. All of the circumstances combined just really created this... Um, this stage that it was remarkable that she did what she was able to do soccer-wise with everything going on. But I guess at the same time, that's kind of who she is, right? Everyone always says she performs the best when the lights are on to her. It's what did, I think Julie Fowdy had a quote, something like, for her, it's sunshine that she basks <laughs> in rather than like a blinding light. That's really cool. I mean, like, I, I'll admit it, like the final, obviously tremendous performance by the U.S., Rapino gets uh, the penalty kick, that ends up being decisive in that game, but the quarterfinal against France, the the vibe in that stadium, I remember that night, and and in just it's in you know I've been covering uh, this sport for a really long time. There's few moments I've ever had like that where you're just like this is a this feels like really historic, mm-hmm. and then for her to score early in that game with everything that had been going on leading into that was, I, I, st- I still look back on it, I'm like, that's that's ridiculous. It's interesting, one f- interesting fact about that game, Rachel, her sister, told me that 
where they were sitting, they couldn't actually see her doing the pose. So they didn't know about it. It became this iconic moment, but in the moment, they didn't experience it, her family. Um, and you know, I thought that was kind of an interesting fact. Huh, very cool. Um, I'm trying to think if there's other stuff here I wanted to get into because there are other things in this story on Megan Rapino. One that stood out was um, she's well aware that no team that has ever won a Women's World Cup has gone on to win the Olympic gold medal the year after. It's kind of a weird schedule where your two major tournaments are in consecutive years and just reflective of how FIFA has not given women's soccer respect over time. Um and there's going to be a challenge here, obviously. The Olympic tournament is this next summer. Rapino hasn't really played much at all uh, at club level since the World Cup, mostly due to injury. Um, and she had a, a very interesting thing to say about the pressures involved with that and how the system makes it difficult to win in consecutive years. Yeah. she And I asked her about this because you had mentioned before I interviewed her that you know, that no team had done both. And it was a, an interesting answer because she said basically the way their contracts are set up, she's not going to get rich or, you know, not going to secure her financial future just through her contract. So it's not like, you know, I cover the NFL, right? You get this huge payday, you have a great year and then you're fine. So for her, you know, they have to win everything they can possibly win. And then if you're happen to catch lightning in a bottle, you become this big star and you blow up. And then you go on this circuit, right? She's been on this speaking tour. She does a lot of corporate speaking engagements. And, uh, you know, obviously she has sponsorship deals and she's kind of has to capitalize on the moment. On one hand, she enjoys it because it's a chance for her to talk about the issues beyond soccer that she really cares about. But sometimes these speaking engagements comes up and she's like, hey, I can't say no to this because of the amount of money they're offering. And she really doesn't want to go fly across the country. I mean, she was home you know, in the month of October, maybe three days, she was home mm. in Seattle. So basically, you have to decommit yourself to your sport to seize the moment financially. And that puts you in position to not catch lightning in a bottle the next time around, is how she put it. And so I think that's what she was kind of struggling with is going into this, the last national team camp of the year. She was still rehabbing this calf Achilles injury. She decided to shut herself down for the camp, but soccer really has felt kind of far off in her mind. So now her mindset is, I've got to get back in shape. I've got to get healed up, continue my rehab, and be ready to go to get back into the groove for Olympic qualifiers. Which aren't that far away. And one thing I've been very impressed with uh, with Rapino the last three or four years is she didn't used to be known for training very hard. Uh, being very fit. Uh, And in the last couple of years, she has totally reversed that. And so at least you have a feeling that she is capable of putting herself in a position to be ready to perform at a very high level next year. Yeah. And part of that was her relationship with Sue Bird. They actually started dating right around the time that she started kneeling in support of Kaepernick. So there were a lot of things happening in her life at that point in time. She sort of copied Sue's training regimen and Sue as a trainer, Susan Borchart, who she uses. And Hmm. Megan had used her on and off um, and really has seen the results that Sue has had. So in... Earlier this fall, Megan was like, I need to really get back into this because I've been on the road so much. I'm tired. I don't feel great. And I've got to get my body right. So she full time works with Susan. Susan gives her basically through an app. They have a workout plan. Susan has a daily workout for Megan, some kind of recovery component. 
And, you know, as she's been rehabbing the injury, sometimes it's as simple as like attending a flywheel class in San Francisco where she's there for like uh, a speaking engagement. Right. Or she's been doing a lot of pool work to kind of take um, pressure off of the the Achilles calf, things like that. Um, But she basically was like, I need to have a strict regimen because I need to follow something closely and get myself ready again amidst all of this other craziness. Yeah, I mean, one other big payday that she's gotten post-World Cup is a book deal. Um, and people told me it was in excess of $3 million, which is big uh, for a book. Yeah. Did she say anything about how much time she's having to spend on that as well? She did say that she was in Orlando visiting uh, Allie Krieger and Ashlyn Harris, and she met with the author of her book there. She said, spent a couple of days in a hotel. She said the process has been pretty easy so far. She said everyone told her that writing a book would be hard, but she likes to talk. So she's <laughs> like, it hasn't really been that difficult for me. I just kind of blab all over the place. Um, but, you know, I'm sure when they do the final edits and such, and I said, yeah, I, I can relate to that. The final edits are, you know, always kind of stressful. But uh, it sounds like she's, yeah, like she's enjoying that. I mean, her story is so interesting. There's there's so much to share and you could take so many angles. And that was, I think, the challenge with the story is like, you know, she's been written about a lot and a lot of her story is out there. But can you provide readers something fresh? Uh, and I think the one thing that I didn't really grasp is that she kind of has this discomfort with all of these accolades. You know, she asks herself, mm-hmm. like, am I even the best player on the national team? And... Or she said, I don't even know if I'm the best player on my own team, but I'm accepting the FIFA Player of the Year Award. And she talked about sort of of the questions in her mind about, you know, am I doing enough? I knelt in support of Kaepernick and then I stopped kneeling. Should I have continued to kneel? And she wrestles with the outcomes of he's out of his sport. And for her, when she faced the scrutiny that came with supporting his protest or joining in his protest, for her, soccer was the way back. She really leaned into the game. She had a tremendous club season and basically they couldn't afford to not have her on the team. So I think for her, some of there's a, a little bit of discomfort. And I think a lot of people can relate to that feeling. Like you don't want people to think you're a fraud. Um, and to me, it was interesting though to hear an athlete say that because you just see them project such extreme confidence all the time on the field. And I think you forget that maybe they don't feel like that all the time. Um, we've been talking about Megan Rapino. I want to talk about you for a second uh, and just say congratulations. This is the most important annual award that Sports Illustrated gives and is a really cool career thing for um, for any writer to, to do. Um, and you've also done something here where you're writing about someone who, I mean, you covered the NFL mostly. Yeah. Um, how did you sort of approach that challenge of... Um, of writing this big of a story uh, after you'd you know, done one story on her earlier in the year uh, when it's not a sport you cover regularly. Well, thanks for the the nice words, Grant. You were such a help in steering me towards things to ask about and talking through the story. So I really appreciate all of your help through the process. Um, for me, it was really refreshing to have a chance to write about someone like Megan. A, as a woman, you know, and a woman in a male-dominated field, obviously she's doing what she's doing on this other realm that I can't relate to. But on some level, I can relate just to the feeling of, uh, you know, fighting for things and wanting to make, you know, progress and not being 
it's okay to be angry, right? And it's okay to say we haven't come far enough. And it's, you know, just because we almost had a female president doesn't mean that we should be satisfied with the way things are in our country, right? And so I think a lot of the things that she talked about are things in a much smaller scale that I could personally relate to. And also um, just the fact of her being a person who is an open book, that's a pretty, it's a gift really for a journalist. A lot of times in the NFL, you know, it's hard to get access. It's hard to get time. Uh, Players are really overexposed. And, you know, I felt like for once I got an opportunity to to get to know somebody and like to really see their personality um, on a deeper level. And so for me, that was, um, it it was a great experience, but then it was also terrifying because you think, well, now I've got to be able to present all of this and I have to do something with this, you know, you, you try to get an understanding with the person and you feel like they give you time and they let you in a little bit. And then you feel like a responsibility to convey that in an accurate way. You've done it. You've done it extremely well. And uh, I really do hope all of you take the time to get the magazine. Um, this is one of those times where read it online, but buy, but buy the print magazine because the there's it's going to be a, it's a well, we're recording this on Friday, so I haven't actually seen it yet. It's going to be a really cool cover. Um, and the whole thing is something I think that you'll want to save for a really long time. Not just if you're a soccer fan, but a sports fan in general. Last question for you. What do you see Megan Rapino doing in the future? I asked her about that. Everything is kind of, we'll see what happens after the Olympics. Because I think, as we talked about earlier, she recognizes that there's this short turnaround time and she doesn't want to let her teammates down and she wants to be the best that she can be on the world stage again. But after that, she said, hopefully the business of Megan Rapino will flourish in some way. <laughs> I mean, you know, we talked about a talk show and she said maybe, but... She said, you know, I'm not as smart as Rachel Maddow, so I don't know if I could do that. And she kind of laughs at the running for office thing. She says she doesn't have concrete policies. She just wants to be the jabber. But <laughs> I think, you know, she's always going to be in a, in a position where she's going to weigh in on the things that matter to her. I think it's just a question of, you know, when her career ends, at whatever point that comes, she doesn't know right now, you know. Will she play in another World Cup? I don't know. That would be a big challenge, but she didn't rule it out. Um, but I think she always will want to have a way to, you know, make her voice heard. And she feels like her, you know, she always talks about people, you have to figure out the best way that you can make a difference. And for her, it's using her voice and speaking up and speaking truth to power. That comes naturally to her. She's confident and she has strong opinions and she she's strong enough to withstand the criticism. So, Whatever way, vehicle that she does that through, I think the the goal will still be the same. Megan Rapino is the 2019 Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year. Jenny Vrentas wrote the story. Thanks for joining me, Jenny. Thanks for having me, Grant. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Jenny Vrentas as well as producer Harry Swartout and everyone at Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Remember, if you like the podcast, it would really help us out if you go to Apple Podcasts and provide a rating and a review, and we'd appreciate you recommending the podcast to someone you know. See you next time.